0: The reading from God's word today comes from 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 12. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says See, I lay a stone in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify your God on the day he visits us. The word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, John, for just sharing with us a little bit more about young life. After a church service on a Sunday morning, a young boy suddenly announced to his mother, Mom, I've decided to become a pastor when I grow up. Well, that's okay with us, but what made you decide that, the mom asked. Well, said the little boy, I have to go to church on Sunday anyway, and I figure it'll be more fun to stand up and yell than to sit and listen. Uh, Hopefully not much yelling. A little girl became uh, restless as the preacher's sermon dragged on and on. Finally, she leaned over to her mother and whispered, Mommy, if we give him the money now, will he let us go? (laughs) The offering's coming up later. Um, (laughs) After the uh, dedication of his baby brother in church, little Johnny sobbed all the way home in the back seat of the car. His father asked him three times what was wrong. Finally, the boy replied, that pastor said that he wanted us to be brought up in a Christian home, and I really want to stay with you guys. (laughs) Uh, Painful, isn't it? Kids say the craziest things. But you know, it does make me wonder, what do children learn about faith and about the church when they watch what we as adults say and do? I have to say, uh, I mean, I do get an opportunity to to speak on a fairly regular basis, but maybe don't often take the opportunity to say just how much I love this church. And I know that's true for Pastor Cannonett and all of the staff. We love this church, and um, you know what that means, don't you? That we love you. And all God's people said, aw. But you see. It's an important distinction to make because some people, when they hear us say that, you know, we love the church, they might think, you know, this building. And what's not to love about it? It's modern. It's got a bit of a traditional feel, yet kind of classic. Not quite, you know, a steeple in the traditional sense, but architecture that directs our eyes heavenward. A cross that symbolizes the message of Christianity. Jesus, God's son, that he died on the cross for our sins. We have a great brunch? I mean, what's not to love about it? But who we are and what we do is far more important than where we meet and when we meet. You see, this fall we've been reviewing some basic but vital elements of what we do as a church, and as a result, really, what each of us ought to do as individuals. We call this series, That's a Stretch as we exercised our minds and expanded our thoughts about five important aspects of a church. Worship, fellowship, uh, which is community and connecting, discipleship, or or being a learner and an apprentice, serving, and mission. I've described these elements of the church in the past, comparing them to to fingerprints. Just like each of us have fingerprints in common, there are no two alike. Uh, We all have unique expressions of them. So too should every church have these fingerprints, but they will be different uh, in the way that they're expressed. And so you'll find churches with different worship styles or different ways of connecting or of learning, of serving, and of mission. And what I want to do this morning is simply to review the five elements from this series as a way to kind of wrap up, and this will be the final message in this series before we move on to our focus in November on Just Imagine. But I particularly want us to just think about ways of applying some of the things that we've been learning over the last number of weeks. Maybe you've missed one or two or five or six messages, which would be kind of weird because there's only been five messages. But um, these messages are all online, so if you missed any, I'd encourage you to, uh, to take some time and just sit down and, and, uh, and listen to that. And the question I want to ask throughout this morning is simply this, and I want to put it back kind of in your court and just say, are you? Okay, and, and, and you'll get a hang of this as we go. So the first question I want to just ask this is, are you a worshiper? This was covered in a message that Pastor Ken presented called Discovering a Life of Worship. And the Apostle Peter, in writing to the churches that were spread across Asia Minor, or what is now modern Turkey, uh, wrote this powerful statement in verse 9 that Neil read for us. And I'm going to refer to this verse fairly often this morning. He says there, but you are, okay, you are, he says, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, Now, why are we all those things, he says? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I love that. That God called us out of the darkness. He called us together into his wonderful light. Why? That we may declare his praises. You see, worship is a a big part of what we do as a church. And what is worship? It is a number of things. It's declaring God's worth. It is declaring His praises. And when we we do that, the Bible says, in spirit and in truth, God is honored. And we do it with joy and with gladness and with thanksgiving, thanking God for who He is and what He has done. I mean, He gave His Son for the forgiveness of our sins. Romans 8, Paul writes, God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And friends, that alone is reason enough to worship, to sing, to praise. But worship is far more than just singing. It really is a a complete response on our part to God's love. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And so we give him our full attention and love him thoughtfully or with our minds. We give him our affection and we love him passionately with our heart and with our soul. And we give him our abilities and we love him practically with our strength. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Romans, put it this way in Romans 12.1. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in other words, because of what Jesus has done, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I love how Eugene Peterson in The Message really captures this verse so well. And he says it this way. He says, So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Worship is a lifestyle. It's a way of life. And All of our daily activities, surrender to God, is worship. And when you have a group of people who are constantly mindful of God and the cry of their soul is to know God and they spend time with Him and all that they do is for God, then, my friends, our worship, our singing, our praying, our desire to know God through His Word, it comes alive and it's real and it's powerful and it's authentic. That you may declare his praises. Are you a worshiper? I mean, so much more could be said about the subject. It is huge, it's broad, could be series of in and of itself. But I'll leave it at that. Ask yourself that question. Are you a worshiper? Secondly, I've just said this, are you a connector? And this was a, a message that I presented called Finding Your Life Support. And maybe asking, you know, are you a connector It's kind of a strange way to put it, but, but I mean, what do you call someone who desires to spiritually connect with others, to experience deep levels of fellowship, and who understands the value of community? I think a connector fits. Because we understand the importance of relationships, not just for the sake of relationship, but because we know that it is important to our growth as a follower of Jesus to do life with other believers. In verse 10, Peter says, once you were not a people, he says, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so the church is a group of people who have all of this in common. They have received God's mercy. And now we are the people of God. And as God's people, we are his family. So we're brothers and sisters, and in some parts of the world, it's very common among believers to greet one another with that title. You know, Brother Norb, or Brother Ed, or, or Sister Heather, or whatever it might be. We, we use those, those terms. She was nodding off, so I thought I would, I would wake her up. But, but there's this family-type relationship. And so far from being a building or an organization or or an institution or a social club, the church is God's family. So church is not something that you go to. Church is a family that you belong to because of your common faith in Jesus and because of our common experience that we have received mercy from God. You see, we were never meant to live, in, live the Christian life on, on our own. We, we can't do it in isolation. Remember, it, it, it's not good for man to be alone. And so to experience the best of life lived for God, it takes other people to journey with. And the Bible needs, makes it so clear that, that we all need each other. And so community is belonging. It's it's rooted in common values and purposes. And so it's this, this bonding together of uncommon people around a common mission. It's connecting. Edward Hollowell, a senior lecturer at Harvard Medical School, puts it this way. In talking about connection, he says, Connection is the sense of being part of something that matters. Something larger than ourselves We need face-to-face interactions. We need to be seen and known and served and to want these same things for others. We need to bind ourselves to each other with promises of love and loyalty made and kept. (coughs) Excuse me. So when we talk about community, it's not... Simply, you know, a Bible study or a prayer meeting or a support group or a, you know, catch up with each other's lives group or a social group. Community is when a handful of Christ followers who do these things, they, they, they long more than anything else to know God and to become like Christ through the Spirit. There are Christ followers who, who see the total, like the crucial role of relationships in spiritual formation. Being so desperate to know God that the risk of vulnerability is worth the cost. And so there's an honesty and a realness in those relationships. It's a group of people who intentionally care for one another and share our burdens and joys with one another. When we're struggling in life, we have others to share that with. And when we're on the top of the mountain, we have others to share that with. Community is when Christ followers covenant together to become agents of spiritual formation in each other's lives. Because we need each other, and we belong to each other. And when we can live out and practice speaking the truth in love to one another, it goes a long way... And seeing Christ formed in each of us. Community is the place that God made us for. It's the place, I believe, where God meets us. Because when we live in relationship with one another and we draw life and nourishment from one another the way that the roots of a tree might draw life from the soil, community, belonging, connecting, it's absolutely vital and essential to human life. This is so critical to our understanding and experience of church. You see, we're not just a collection of individuals living and doing our thing. We are the people of God who have come to Jesus for salvation and who are committed to walking together in obedience, surrendered fully to His Lordship. You are, Peter writes, the people of God. You're His family. And so are you a connector? I encourage you, friends, don't try to do it on your own. Take the initiative. Meet with others. Meet, you know, put a try. We call them triads here. Meet with two other people who want to grow in their faith as well, of the light, same, same sex, we encourage us And it's such an encouragement when you get together with these guys or with these girls, and you, you speak truth into one another's lives. Join a small group. You know, we, we just launched three new groups this past week, and there's room in some of them. So if you're still thinking about it, it's not too late to jump into this, but get connected. Take the initiative and join a small group. Thirdly, I want to ask the question, are you a disciple? This was, again, a a message that Pastor Ken shared with us called Discovering the Importance of Apprenticing. And the most common term for a Christian in the Bible is actually not Christian, it's a disciple. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is learning from him and seeking to become more like him. And again, Peter writes in verses 11 and 12, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You see, becoming like Christ doesn't happen overnight. As Eugene Peter likes to say, he says, it's a long obedience in the same direction. You are not a disciple once you've taken a class or a course or even been part of a small group. Being a disciple is a lifelong process of learning and growing and maturing and God will use the rest of our lives when, once we've come to him and he'll use the events and the experiences of our lives often some of the most difficult uh, you know, some of the most difficult realities of life to shape us and to build our character and to make us holy. in the early church described in Acts chapter 2, in verse 42 we read, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You see, the early church was a teaching and learning community. They were intent on following the way and the life of Jesus. They understood that education was not optional, but that it was absolutely essential. And so we too need to be equipped and educated In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul lays out the process. He says that God gives gifts to men and to women and their pastors and teachers for the church with a specific focus to prepare God's people for works of service. That preparation is education and it's discipleship. And our textbook always has to start with the Bible. That's where God reveals himself to us. And so we, learn, we know who he is. We, we learn about how he wants us to, to live our lives. And so we must read it. We've got to study it. We've got to meditate upon it. We have to live it. And we encourage everyone at TCC if you go to, the, the, to, uh, to our, our website right on the homepage, there's a link that says Life Journal. And it's a link to daily Bible readings. But it's not the only daily Bible reading that's out there. If you have an app on your phone, many of them have it built in. And you can pick and choose all sorts of types of daily reading plans that start with just maybe a little bit of reading or maybe a lot of reading. Some that will read through the Bible in the whole year. Some that will take two years to read through it. Whatever the pace is, it doesn't matter. But what matters is that we understand that this is God's word to us. And we learn from Jesus by reading His Word, you know. Last night, um, uh, Tina and I, and I know a number of you were there as well. Uh, we were at Taylor Seminary's seventy-fifth anniversary celebration over at Taylor College, and uh, um, and so seventy-five years ago, nineteen forty—that's why it was the seventy-fifth anniversary. Um, that was a little joke. I mean, it just just kind of came out that way, but. Um, 75 years ago, a man by the name of E.P. Wall, I think it was Emil Peter Wall, had a vision and a a passion to train Christians. And so he started Christian Training Institute, or CTI, in 1940. And they had a building near the University of Alberta that they built, and they showed pictures last night of it being under construction. And, and, um, I mean, it was just such a fantastic evening, because even though I was an alumnus of the school, there was, it it just kind of placed me back in the context of the history of these people and the pictures that they showed. I I have to tell you, it was absolutely moving. And there's this one picture I don't think I'll ever forget. And it was four guys, college age, in their dorm room, on their knees, with their Bible in front of them, praying together and reading the word. Christian training. Discipleship, reading God's word, praying together, it was, it was powerful. And um, just uh, talk to me later, I can go on and on about that. But it was, it was powerful because I think they understood community and learning and community and the importance of seeing God's word and spending time with Jesus. Because, you know, the difference in the lives of Peter and John, when talked about in Acts chapter uh, 2, is that they were recognized, or maybe this was verse chapter 4, they were recognized as men who had been with Jesus. And since they had spent time with Jesus, they thought like him. They started to act like him, and their characters would reflect his. These early, the, these apostles, these disciples, they spent two plus years with Jesus. And so why do we think that we can become like Jesus in a 10-week course? 30 weeks, maybe, but not 10. That's an allusion to the, or illusion, is that right? Or an illustration, uh, whatever, um, to uh, courses that, that we're going to offer starting in November. We just call them believe groups because it's a, a curriculum called Believe, and it runs through 10 core beliefs. What are the 10 th- essential core beliefs that we as believers of Jesus Christ should follow? What are the 10 core practices? What are the things that we should do? And 10 core virtues, what is it that we should become? And if you're interested in that, there's some information in the Sunday news about that. But think about it, and maybe it's, it's for you. Again, I mention home groups and small groups because our home groups, they're not just kind of get together and share each other's lives. That's part of it. But there's a study component to each of them as well. And I want to encourage you. There's a note in in the Sunday News about baptism. If you've not been baptized as a follower of Jesus Christ, then I want to encourage you. That is really your starting point. That's where you say yes to Jesus. You make it public. You say, I'm under new management. Jesus is now Lord of my life. And I'm going to follow him, and I'm going to live my life out before him and before you. I mean, the question really is this, is what evidence is there that we are more like Jesus today than we were three months ago or three years ago? How has our thinking changed? How has our behavior and our activities changed? How has our character changed? And so are you a disciple? Thirdly, or, or fourthly, I think, are you a servant? Who's keeping track, right? Who's counting? Um, this was a message a couple of weeks ago from Pastor Ken, adopting the service model. Peter writes in verse 9 again, but you are, I've re- referenced this verse a few times now, a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You see, one of the, of the um, major emphasis of the Reformation was to return the church back to what is called the priesthood of believers. In other words, there was no need for there to be one priest that would perform certain rites in the church or administer certain sacraments. We are, as Peter indicates here, that we're all priests. We're all ministers. So we may have three pastors on staff, but but we have hundreds of ministers. And the pastors, as we've already learned, should prepare God's people for works of service. And one who has been prepared for works of service is a servant or a minister, a priest, a priest. And we're all priests, priests who care for and serve others in the church and in the community. Remember that as disciples, we're learning about Jesus and about how he served and about how he loved and about how he cared. And so we learn about how to respond to needs. And the beauty of this is that the work of the church is carried out by everyone in the church throughout the week and so during the week the church just doesn't sort of cease to exist like it sort of remains here in this in this room but 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 the because the church is then scattered all over the city scattered throughout in schools and hospitals and businesses and government we're building homes and wiring homes and plumbing homes although i don't know that we have a plumber in the church if you are please see me because i need to know that and, and, and we're painting homes or we're fixing teeth or we're pulling teeth and we're straightening teeth and we're doctors and nurses and teachers and mechanics and engineers and IT guys. And the list goes on and on and on and on. I think we even have a lawyer or two, but that's okay. We'll pray for them. Um, <laughs> bad lawyer joke. Why are they always the brunt of these jokes? It's Barry. Where's Barry? He always... But here's the point, wherever you are tomorrow morning, that's where the church is. And in those places and around our neighborhoods, we're called to serve others. We're priests, serving as the hand and feet of Jesus in a hurting world. Does it get any better than that? That he just calls us on mission? See, the Bible makes it clear that every believer is given at least one spiritual gift. And the purpose of that gift is to function within the body, within the church. And we might be leaders and administrators and givers and people with the gift of mercy, and the list goes on. And within the church, we learn from reading the Bible that there are over 20 one another commands where we accept one another, we admonish one another, we honor one another, we carry burdens of one another, we confess sins to one another encourage one another, love one another, serve one another, and the list goes on. And where do we learn to do that? By studying the Bible, by learning from Jesus, acting like him. And so what is the best place to do that? Again, in community, in relationship, in a small group. Do you hear a common theme coming through? There's, see, I want there's something I want you to know this morning. We we value family, not just individual families and kids and all that we we do in our children's ministry and youth ministry, but we value just being God's family, and we like to refer to TCC as a family, and and who is in that family um, is important when, when people consciously and intentionally say, TCC is home. So at the end of the service. As you know, we pass a friendship book. And if you're here for the first time, this is your heads up. But we pass this book through the aisle. And you have a choice and an option to indicate whether, you know, you're first time or you're visiting again or you're out of town or TCC is home. And we're intentionally asking a very important question here. It's this, have you come to see TCC as your spiritual family or your home? And if you have... Let me just outline three primary expectations that we have. We say this. One, that you'll consistently be involved in the life and ministry of TCC as evidenced by your regular attendance and giving. Two, that you will join a small group. Three, that you will find a place to serve. Why? Because in a family, everyone has responsibilities to fulfill. Everyone needs to pitch in. And so already this morning on your way in, you met many servants. You met greeters at the door. You met ushers in here. You've seen worship team members. There's sound and video texts. Maybe you took your kids upstairs and you met teachers and helpers and worship leaders. And if you stay for brunch, you'll benefit from those who shopped and organized and led and cut fruit and and baked pastries and who filled trays with ham and eggs and less it's pancakes and sausages and hash browns. If you've already had a cup of coffee... Somebody's been serving you. Somebody prepared that for you. And setup teams. Where would we be without the setup teams? I say this to them all the time. I mean, they're absolutely vital. Can you imagine showing up here in the morning and going, "Where's the chairs? Where should I sit? Where's the tables? We could just leave the chairs stacked, and you could come in and put your chair down. But that would be like total chaos, and it, it would just be so hard for me to to, to live with that. But um, we have hundreds of volunteers and a very high percentage of the people who call TCC uh, home they're serving but I'm going to be honest with you we need more servants today we need people to help with brunch cleanup because we don't have quite enough to to schedule on this last Sunday of the month tablecloths you do laundry I know nobody likes to do more laundry but a couple of loads a week once a month can you do it Love to hear from you because we have people that we schedule every week, those tablecloths, because we believe here at TCC that it's uncivilized to eat without tablecloth. You know that, right? So we put tablecloths out. Somebody's got to wash them. That's serving, doing something practical that you can take home with you, bring back next Sunday. Easy thing to do. So friends, never forget this. You are a royal priesthood. And so the question is, are you a servant? And lastly, are you a missionary? That is, are we ambassadors to the world? You know, sometimes when we think of missionaries, we think that's just reserved for a few select few that are going to go overseas and to far reaches of the earth. But you know what? A missionary simply takes Jesus to the world. A missionary is an ambassador. They represent Jesus here on earth. And again, in 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen people, God's people, Right? a royal priesthood, your servants, a holy nation, God's special possession, you're part of his family, that you may declare the praises of him, that is, you're worshiping and exalting him, who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And if he called you and me out of darkness, do you think maybe he wants to call others out of the darkness as well? See, there's a word for this. It's evangelism. And sometimes people react negatively to that word because usually they misunderstand it or they think maybe in terms of a TV evangelist who always seems to be asking for money to support that ministry. But it actually comes from the Greek word that means good news. You see, we have good news to share as missionaries. People, you don't need to live in darkness anymore. That's the message. John 3, 16, verse 21, it starts with a familiar verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Friends, that is simply the good news. God gave his son, Jesus, Jesus who died on the cross And there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that we can still do to earn or to merit God's love. He so loved the world, a world that was lost in the darkness. And Jesus, the light of the world, enters in, lived, died, and rose again. And by believing in him, we have eternal life instead of the death that we deserved. So yes, indeed, God has shown us mercy. And because of that, we have a responsibility to tell others about Jesus, about what he did for us and what he'll do for others. And so being a missionary isn't about having evangelistic meetings or an outreach event, but every day, every Christian has the opportunity to share his or her faith in the context where God has placed them. Listen to Jesus' word as recorded in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14-16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, Neither do people like a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds, the things that you do, and glorify you? No. Glorify your Father in heaven. Why? So that they may declare his praises. See, we just come full circle. They become worshipers too and connectors, and disciples, and servants, and missionaries, and so are you a missionary? Right where you are, think of your neighbors on either side of your home. We have community events as a church that we like to do. We have Winter Delight coming up at the end of the month. Pretty soon, we're going to be asking for, for volunteers for that. Operation Christmas Child, there's still lots of boxes out there, and I told you last week, if you were here, that I challenged another church about that. They, 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 they kind of declined this week. They're, they're just scared. So, you know what, we have to compete against ourselves. And we had like eight or 900 boxes last week, or last year, or 750, I think. So let's go for 800 or 900. But you know that those boxes that go to developing countries, Samaritan's Purse puts an appropriate um, uh, information in there for children to understand that Jesus loves them. He wants to have a relationship with them. In closing, let me just say this. There's an invitation here in these verses as well. It's about coming to Jesus. Verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone, that's Jesus, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him. You see, friend, this is where it all starts. You see, how you respond to Jesus is ultimately what determines where you stand with God and whether or not you are the church. And some people, he says, choose to reject him. They simply don't believe in Jesus. But many do receive him. They come to him. So God calls and they come responding in faith to the invitation and they're adopted as his children and they become part of his family, the church. And it's simply about trusting and believing in Jesus. Whoever believes in me will have eternal life. And see, coming to Jesus carries with it the idea of drawing near to him with the intention to stay and enjoy the relationship with him. In other words, people who worship. People who connect with others for the purpose of growing in Christ. People who are learning and becoming more like Jesus. Serving him by serving others and telling others about him. So that they too might come to Jesus. And the cycle repeats. So we're disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So all morning I've been asking you, are you? And so one last one. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Just throw it out there straight. Have you come to him? And if the answer is no, then why not? And why not today? Let's pray. Father, you are amazing. You're incredible. You do amazing things. You've done amazing things. Lord, I know that you see the potential of a church that is full of people who are committed to following you and expressing their belief in you by the way we live, by the way we think, by the way we serve, by the way we we come alongside people and care for them. So Lord, I'm simply asking that you as a church, that you would use us as your church, your people to be the hands and feet of Jesus here on earth, to make a difference for your good and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.